Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. There was a time when speaking was all about being a keynote speaker, standing on the stage for an hour and talking. Well, that's really changed. CAPS is, just, is more than just about motivational speakers. It's more than just about keynoters. There's coaches, there's trainers, there's facilitators. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? What are they not willing to do? And when you do that, it's a huge game changer because you come up with things the competition hasn't even thought of. If you limit yourself to what's comfortable, you deny yourself what's possible. You're off balance, right? And so that's the gift. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me is your co-host, Fred Keating. Welcome to another edition in our series of themed episodes where we talk to several people on the same topic. The topic of this episode, careers in public speaking, coaching, and facilitating. Recently, Fred and I set up camp at the annual CAPS convention. C-A-P-S stands for Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. CAPS members include professionals from all over North America, but the annual convention actually attracts speakers from all around the world. While on location at the convention, Marvin and I spoke with Sherry Bricks, Executive Director of CAPS. In other words, she's the person responsible for herding all these CAPS cats and organizing this annual convention. As you might imagine, she's fully aware of the contribution effective speaking makes to our everyday lives at work, home, or play. That's right. And Sherry shared with us the types of professional speakers that are members of CAPS and the support that this truly collaborative community of inspirational speakers and coaches have for one another. So Sherry, thank you for having us at the convention this year. What have you pulled together for these Olympian orators? Our speakers learn to do their business better, do their business differently, and most importantly, how are they going to make more money doing what they're doing? Now, Sherry, as you know, our podcast is monetizing your creativity, and I can imagine some of our listeners saying to themselves right now, what, what do you mean I can earn a living as a speaker? I can earn a living going up on stage and, and making quote-unquote speeches? Tell us about this. Well, absolutely, but you know, there's more to the business than just speaking. There was a time when speaking was all about being a keynote speaker, standing on the stage for an hour and talking. Well, that's really changed. CAPS is, just, is more than just about motivational speakers. It's more than just about keynoters. There's coaches, there's trainers, there's facilitators. There's all aspects of speaking. An audience can mean many things to many people. It can be a live stream webinar. It can be a webcast. Any of those are live audiences. But in addition, there's the product sales. So just in addition to your speaking, there's the books, there's the online materials, the virtual learning, and it goes on and on and on. And that's what the experience of CAPS is for their members to learn how to monetize their self, their business, and to help them do better in many areas. So I guess the backstories of some of these people that they turn this into a career, some of them are hypnotists, some of them are magicians, some of them are former Olympic athletes, and they turn this into a speaking career. That's right, they are. So those are what we call often the celebrity speakers, the Olympians, the celebrities, the Bill Clintons of the world are the celebrity speakers. But you know what? A lot of these people, they're content speakers. They have a 
knowledge area, they have a niche market. You know, they may be expert in social media, in online marketing, in book publishing, in raising your profile with the list. I know you were going to say podcasting there as well too, right? Well, I was saving the best for last. So podcasting was definitely getting to it. Come on. So yeah, so no, definitely. There's all different subject knowledge areas. Our program spans three days. And over that three days, in addition to these amazing general session speakers that we have, our breakouts are really where the heart of it is, right? It's in those breakout learning sessions where the depth of the material comes. And we have, not only do we have our basic concurrent sessions, but we also have expert interactive sessions. And our expert interactive sessions are 40 minutes, fast pace. It's learning from the expert on the things that matter most to you and for doing your business. And that is one of the most amazing aspects of this convention for me, this gathering of the clan but in a group where, in fact, many might assume there's a tremendous amount of competition all around you, is the mission of either the association or the individuals within it to share their knowledge and expertise with the other tribe members. So actually, with the National Speakers Association, it was founded by Cavett Robert, and Cavett Robert's premise was, it's a big pie and there's a lot of pieces in the pie for everybody. And that's really what you do find when you use the word family here, it really is a family because people do share that and they refer each other to business and I get a gig and I can't do it, so I'm gonna say, hey, I know my good friend Marvin, he's available. Let me check and see if he can do your gig. Or I know Fred's been to Dubai and knows that cultural market and he can go and do that. It's those networking opportunities that help each other grow their businesses. Sherry, these are great thoughts we're just about up on time, but I'd like to summarize. I mean, for me, the takeaway for this interview is something that you really said here, which is get out there, meet people, network, be open to opportunity. Don't necessarily have this hard and fast vision of where your career is going to go. Be open to serendipity and things will fall into place. And you know, I can't emphasize enough the power of face-to-face. -face. You know, it's great to watch things online, um, listen to podcasts. Of course, you're going to get great information, but whenever you can, as you just said, get out there, meet the people, be face-to-face. -face. Attend the seminars, attend the workshops, just expose yourself, get all the knowledge you can, and one day it's all going to click together. And you know, we have a lot of life ahead of us, and we may change careers many times over that 50, 60 years and you know what how many people retired 65 anymore I know I'll be working till I'm in the grave so as I like to say by the time I'm dead I'm sure they'll have wireless underground <laughs> and on that happy note I just took out another life insurance policy yikes the thought of still connected in the afterlife whatever happened to rest in peace well good news Fred our next guest is not only alive and well but also in the prime of life He's former Olympian Vince Pacente. Vince is one of those athletes Sherry mentioned who has shaped the lessons he learned as a high-performance athlete and made a career out of sharing them with audiences worldwide. And he's a best-selling author as well, right Fred? Vince is a New York Times best-selling author of The Age of Speed and The Ant and the Elephant. So recently, Vince founded actually the Heroes Climb. That's a movement celebrating everyday heroes and we're going to hear about that, but first, Welcome, Vince. And can you speed us through that four years to glory story? Yeah, 26 years old, recreational skier. And I kind of danced around the Olympic idea. In fact, when I was 14, I saw the opening ceremonies on TV and I was captivated. I mean, those 
athletes and the marching for the countries and all that. And I thought, that'd be cool. That'd be a neat thing to do. But then I remembered I played clarinet in the band. <laughs> so the idea went away. But that's a classic. The seed was planted. And I know every single person listening in on this knows what that feels like. When that seed is planted, you go, no, 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 it couldn't. What? That's not even possible. I'm a clarinet player or whatever. But uh, the idea never went away. And so over time, uh, eventually realized that... Um, I was watching the opening ceremonies of the Olympics in Calgary and realized I'd never pursued what deep down I wanted to experience at some point in my life, and that was to be an Olympian. So I quit everything, and then four years later, I was vying for the gold medal in the Olympic Games. And so, you know, strange things happen when you commit. So did that change your perspective on recreational skiing? How did you prepare? How did you, once that seed was planted and you had the target in front of you, what did you change about what you'd been doing on the slopes up to that point? As a recreational skier, I was pretty much an intermediate skier. And knowing to get to the Olympic Games, I went into research mode and I started to realize that you had to be ranked. In order to compete for the Canadian team, there's Olympic qualifying standards, which are you have to be top half or top 16 in the world. So I focused on being in the top 16 racers in the world. That changes everything when you realize how far you have to go. And with the Olympics, there was a deadline. So how do you get there that fast? So I started to, in research mode, interview all sorts of people. And I, I actually raced in luge for a couple of years. You know luge, you lay on your back and rubber suit. And go down a steep hill. And it's another steep hill, gravity. I love gravity. <laughs> but uh, the uh, had quit luge and watched my buddies march in the opening ceremonies. And so I had uh, pulled aside a coach later on while I decided to do this ski racing thing. He was a luge coach, and he gave me probably the best advice that I've now termed this way. Do what the competition is not willing to do. And what that means is whatever you're pursuing, you're pursuing something in a competitive landscape. And if it's competitive, everybody else is trying to do what you're not doing, and you're trying to do what they're not doing. That's a tough road to hoe. I mean, it's how do you get there by in a very competitive landscape, but you can accelerate your outcomes by doing what the competition's not doing. Now, let's put this in perspective. The competition in this case were the top 16 racers in the world. So my competition wasn't local, it wasn't national, and it wasn't international for that matter. It was the top 16 people in the world that were ski racing, speed skiing. What are they not willing to do? And when you do that, it's a huge game changer because you come up with things the competition hasn't even thought of. And there's a domino effect. When you do one thing the competition isn't willing to do, another thing shows up. And I'm not talking about big things. I'm not talking about working harder. It's really smarter. There's a saying, the motto of the Olympic Games is Sidious Altius Fortius. Swifter, higher, stronger. I added one more, it was smartius. <laughs> to be smarter the way you compete. And you know, in the research mode, it was researching PhD in politics and sport, for example. So I had a, a half, 30 minute interview, just a conversation with a PhD in the politics and sport. But he taught me, he, he said, if I was in your shoes and you wanted, I wanted to get to the Olympic games in four years from today, this is what I would do in a political landscape. And it was an absolute life changer in terms of that conversation. Now, Vince, you talked about working smart, you talked about working smarter, and you talked about being willing to do things that other people aren't willing to do. Now, I know our listeners are really, really wondering, how did you leverage that experience as a skier in the Olympics into this career that you've had as a New York Times bestselling author and as a, as a speaker 
who sought after and travels the world. Well, a couple things come to mind. One is, I call it the mathematics of opportunity. And that's, if you can visualize opening a door. <laughs> and when you open a door, you'll see other doors. Pick a door and go through that door. And pick another door and go through that door. And you will see opportunity as you go through. You know, I placed 15th in the Olympics. 18 months after the Olympics, somebody invited me to speak. And I said yes. I learned something when I was in high school. And a friend had passed away. And she had heart failure. And on a Monday, we said hello to each other. On Friday, we're at her funeral. And it was at that moment I realized that life might be shorter than expected. So there was a sense of urgency to say yes. If something new came by, it was always yes, I'll give that a shot. Always yes, yes, yes. The more you say yes to something. And so that's how the, the writing thing came along. I would give speeches over time and um, it just one speech led to another and I got better and I treated the same mindset of do what the competition's not willing to do in speaking. Do you have a book? No. But I will, <laughs> you know. So I wrote one book, then I wrote another book, and then by this fourth book, it ended up being on the New York Times bestselling list, and now I'm at book seven right now, and I'm constantly trying to be a better writer. I didn't start being a good writer. I didn't start being a good skier. I didn't start being a good speaker. You, you take that mindset and, and uh, embrace it and keep saying yes. What elements of your success could you attribute to your parents or your family background? Were they supportive of the kinds of things that you were taking on? I hope parents are listening to this right now, quite frankly, because to pursue something that's deep down a passion, my mom and dad did not understand why I was going for these Olympics. <laughs> they did not get it. And, you know, in retrospect, I now know that my mom and dad had many conversations and my dad was going, what the hell's wrong with Junior? <laughs> you know, what's he doing? And my mom would go, you know what? He's just pursuing it. Let him have his space. You know what happened? My dad ended up being the biggest advocate when he saw the evidence that this was a good idea. I hope parents hear this because, you know, when somebody follows their heart, it may not be logical. To go to the Olympic Games in a, a sport I'd never done before is not a rational decision. And a number of people would come up and say, what are you doing? <laughs> but other people would say, oh, that's interesting. How are you going to do that? So if I had any advice for parents, it would be ask questions. Don't, don't make statements. Just ask questions. Keep asking questions. And that applies not just to your kids, but also to anybody and to the listeners as well. Just ask questions. If we get out of judgment and into, well, what's, what, what's your next step? How are you going to do that? What's the next? If you ask questions, that gives that person space to formulate where they are headed. And maybe it's not clear right now, but the mathematics of opportunity is such that you open another door and there's that opportunity. Vince Pacente is a great proponent of saying yes to new opportunities as a way of keeping one's timing and talents all tuned up and doing what the competition is not willing to do. As Vince put it, strange things happen when we commit. We also had a chance to speak with Dan Thurman. Fred, would you introduce Dan to our listeners? Dan Thurman is a champion professional speaker and author of the book Off Balance On Purpose. His purpose is to share with audiences the need to get beyond the concept of a balanced strategy. And his world as motivational speaker demands a multidimensional approach to success. As in his line of work, as well as many other fields of endeavor, the transitions in the marketplace and, and in your audiences or clients, customer bases are massive and ever-shifting, always ongoing. I began to notice that in my work with corporations across the United States and Canada and around the world, where people say, we really believe in life balance 
balance or work-life balance, but they didn't have a strategy. They didn't have a way to even define or explain what that looks like. And the reality is that balance is a myth, it's an illusion, and, it, and it's really the wrong goal because balance is not something you ever attain, balance is something you do. And so we're constantly moving through life at any phase of our career, making adjustments and corrections and trying to determine and ascertain what's going to take us where we want to go. But we have to navigate that every step of the way. And in fact, you must be off balance in order to make something happen, in order to grow or learn or serve others or contribute to your community or, or your cause. If you limit yourself to what's comfortable, you deny yourself what's possible. You're off balance, right? And so that's the gift is to say, how do I identify what it is for me that makes me uncomfortable for the right reason. It's still congruent with my sense of purpose. And then I lean in. I take the initiative, make it my choice, and intentionally go in that direction. Now, something I'm really curious to hear about is how do you feel that this applies to people who work in the, uh, the, the entertainment industry and the, and the production industry, people who work on film crews and that sort of thing? Actually, I think those people are probably more accustomed to this concept than others because it's the world they live in, constantly changing, moving from one project to another. How do I shift? How do I refocus? Often in that world, we're making promises of, yeah, we can create that. We can make that happen. We don't even have it figured out exactly yet, but we know we will. We know we can lean on our creativity and our, our network of other friends and other talents to help us get there. And we entrust in that outcome. That uncertainty, in a way, becomes our friend. I know this because that's my background as well. I really got into speaking by way of entertainment. I learned to juggle at a Renaissance festival at the age of 11. That's how I cut my teeth in learning how to be in front of audiences. It got me into some bigger opportunities. I, I developed a one-man show. That's how I paid for college, got my business degree, started a production company. So how do I elevate those skills and talents to their ultimate level where the gift that I give to an audience is substantial and impacts them personally? What we would love to hear for our audience, those who didn't learn to juggle or at the time didn't have the moxie, if you will, to build one-man shows and start a production company, what is it they can do with their own particular creative bent, or more particularly, those soft skills or character traits that led you or drove you or pulled you into the various levels of success that you've had? My mom is an artist. That's what exposed me to that world and to that method of thinking. She's a visual artist, a painter, but also an entrepreneur. She ran an art studio out of our basement where she taught lessons. She did a mail order business of painting portraits of people's pets. So we always had people coming and going and all these different ideas and projects and experiments. And what she told me, I remember from a very early age, is it doesn't matter what you do in life. What matters is how you do it. And you can be artistic. You can be creative. You can bring your personal art and unique contribution to anything, to any endeavor that you do. And so that really stuck with me and it encouraged me in my endeavors. But I believe what your audience should understand is that we place so much importance on the choice of what is the right next step for me? Where am I going to go? It's really more about how do I apply what I have to whatever situation is in front of me at that moment and realize it's all connected. It's not a either or opportunity. It's yes and. Yes, I can do that. 
that and I can be interested in that. And that's the concept of integration of how do we bring multiple pursuits together and then really create a unique contribution that's all our own. Many of us have this creative aspect to our personalities and I know this was a case with Fred and it was a case with myself at the beginning of our careers where you know you're kind of surrounded by family and some of them are the naysayers right and they're saying you know you're going to be a starving artist if you if you try to pursue that I, th I think you should maybe consider becoming a lawyer or an accountant or something like that and you're saying but that's not what I want I want to be a photographer I want to be a writer and they're saying come on you're going to starve I think you would beg to differ and your mother might have beg to differ as well. You have to expect and anticipate that there will be those naysayers and you'll hear those voices but there also are others who say I see what this means to you and never let it out of your life. For example I learned acrobatics and gymnastics at a young age and I learned how to do a standing back tuck and someone said you know what as long as you do it you'll always be able to do it. I kind of filed that away. I decided I was going to listen to that person and here I am 48 years old and I'm going to be doing handstand push-ups on the podium inside this ballroom and tumbling across the stage and doing standing back tucks and throwing knives around on a unicycle. But I'll be doing it all to teach universal principles about how we can manage our focus in the midst of change, how we can elevate our ability and break through barriers and deal with these situations that feel uncertain or even maybe stressful. So you would say if you want it, you can pursue it. And if you really want it, you can make a career out of it. Yes, but don't feel that the world owes you a career in your version of your creativity. That's where the adaptation comes from. It's saying, I know what I do well. I know what I do to the best of my ability. How do I create a market for it? Or how do I discover the best use or the greatest value that I could deliver through using my creativity. You know what, if you can articulate that in your own mind or even just begin on that journey, you'll be rewarded almost instantly because the world hungers for creative people who are, are willing to walk into problems and, and attempt to solve them. Well, Fred, there you have it. Are you willing to walk into problems and attempt to solve them? Marvin, I don't need to walk into problems. They seem to find me wherever I try to hide. I must say, I, I did appreciate Dan's suggestion that we embrace the uncertainty of life and constantly adjust our actions and attitudes toward the next creative challenge. Well, Fred, I can't think of a better metaphor for our podcast series. In fact, maybe that should be the subtitle, Monetizing Your Creativity, Off Balance, On Purpose. I think you're onto something there, Marvin, and I bet I know which one of us you cast as off balance. Yes, Fred, and I did that on purpose. Speaking of which, Fred, we should recharge our own creative batteries and begin to put together another themed episode for next week. Then I say let's get to it. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you for listening in. Please join us next week for another themed episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.